John 20, 11 through 18. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that in it you have revealed who you are and you show us who we are in you. So as we take these moments to reflect on what's recorded for us here in the Gospel of John, move upon us by your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, to see the promises that are ours contained in Scripture, to see this glorious Gospel that's not just good news, but it's good news for us. pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All seems lost and over. Jesus had tried. He had tried. He had shined the light of God into the darkness that covers this world, and the darkness had fought back. He had been rejected, and he had been sentenced to execution, and this execution wasn't just the ending of his life. Crucifixion was an execution designed uniquely to degrade and dehumanize the victim in every way, to strip every piece of dignity from the person being crucified. Jesus had tried, but it was over. His followers had scattered, aside from a few women that weren't seen as threats. The soldiers didn't bother to run them off. They were just grieving women, after all, in a world where women weren't even allowed to testify in court. Jesus had died, and they had put his body in a tomb, a new tomb, now, in the ancient world, tombs would often have multiple bodies in them. They were like a, like a mausoleum, like a family tomb. But the bodies of crucified people were seen to be cursed. To put a crucified body in a family tomb was like desecrating the graves of the people who were already buried. And the, brothers of, and the disciples of Jesus had not even come forward to claim his body. In fact, in the ancient world, the crucified, their bodies were often thrown into essentially trash dumps left for vultures or dogs. They were cursed. And the only thing that kept Jesus' body from that fate was that a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he volunteered a new tomb that was near the crucifixion site. So they laid the body of Jesus there. And at that entrance, the authorities had placed a massive stone and they had sealed that tomb with this like clay-like substance. And they had pressed Caesar's insignia into the sealant to let anybody know if you tamper with this, you're incurring the wrath of Rome. And outside of that, they put soldiers. 
Jesus had tried, but this was the end. As he said on the cross in his last words, it is finished. This is it. It's over. It's the end, right? No. No. It's not the end. At least not in the way that anyone other than Jesus thought. And we see that in the first, the first hint of that for us in our very first verse that we looked at for our uh, call to worship. When we find out there was not only a tomb there, but there was a garden. Not a tomb, not just a tomb. There was a garden. The significance of this in Scripture, if you look back Genesis 2 and 3, the human story begins in a garden. God planted a garden as the place for flourishing and growth for humanity. And he put Adam and Eve there as gardeners to tend it and to grow it. And this garden was supposed to be almost like a temple. It was where heaven met earth. God communed with Adam and Eve there. And Adam, Adam and Eve lived lives without shame and without toil. No wonder so many people have called it a paradise. Does anything sound better? No shame, no toil. And this garden of growth, this place where the love of God was to be the very air that humanity breathed, became the place of tragedy. Humanity turned its back on God, seeking to earn what was already theirs. And this garden, it became the birthplace of failure and rejection. The fruit of that garden was frustration and pain and violence, sin and death. And now Jesus here has eaten the bitter fruit that had grown from humanity's rebellion and his suffering becoming the ultimate expression of what had grown from that garden of humanity's failure. Jesus had come and he had walked into the darkness of our world and that darkness overcame him. It was still dark when Mary Magdalene comes to this garden tomb, as we see, still dark. And Mary, in her grief, she sees an unexpected sight. That stone that had been placed in front of his tomb to keep him in and to keep everybody else out had been removed. So she does the first thing she can think of. She runs. She runs to tell the male disciples of Jesus who were still in hiding, still in fear. She does not know what has happened, but she can only imagine that someone has come and taken Jesus' body to shame and desecrate him some more. They've stolen his remains. <clears throat> Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, which is the name that the Gospel of John, John, that's how he refers to himself in the Gospel of John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter and John, they take off running to the tomb. Peter and John, they see that the body of Jesus is gone, and they believe what Mary has told them, that his body is gone. And then they get out of there as quick as they can. You may notice they don't even say anything to Mary, who's there as well. Mary Magdalene's right there. They don't say a word to her. They see the body's gone, and they take off to go back to hiding before anybody else shows up. And so in verse 11, we find Mary alone in her grief, weeping outside this tomb. She's convinced by her eyes and what she sees that the body of Jesus has been taken and that this is still the end, but there is something that is drawing her to continue to seek him. 
Now, we don't know a lot about Mary if you read through the gospel accounts. We meet her there. What we do know is she is someone who had found the light of God shining into her darkness. She found in Jesus someone to look her into the eyes and take her seriously. She had found grace that had transformed her. She is at this same moment in despair, but there is some sort of hope or faith that is making her not leave. And so she comes in her grief and she brings her tears to Jesus' tomb and looks inside. She brings her tears and her grief to the tomb of Jesus and she looks inside and she sees another confusing sight. Two angels in white using the place where Jesus' body had been laid as a chair. And this is the first uh, scene of victory. Because think about it. I said earlier the, the bodies of the crucified were seen as cursed. To put them in something is to desecrate it. But right here, of all things not cursed or desecrated are angels. And this place, this tomb that had been the final resting place of the body of Jesus, of all things, the emblem of the victory of the darkness of this world had been turned from a tomb into a couch. And these angels sit on it. It's the first note of victory. And she sees these angels. Why are you crying? They ask. And she says, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. And then she turns and she sees somebody else standing there, but she cannot see who it is. It seems she's blinded by her grief. Her tears have blinded her. She believes it's the gardener. And she tells him, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And then the moment comes. Jesus speaks her name. Jesus speaks her name and she can see. Jesus speaks her name and a new creation has dawned for her. And she cries out like a baby's first words, Rabboni. Rabboni. John tells us here that this was in Aramaic, which was the, that was the language Jesus spoke, his common language. It would have been the language that Mary spoke. But interestingly, it's not the language that the Gospel of John or the rest of the New Testament was written in. That was written in Greek, which was the common language of the, the, you know, the most known language in the world at the time. New Testament was written at Greek, in Greek so the most amount of people could read it. But Jesus actually spoke Aramaic. And John very rarely gives you the Aramaic word. He'll just, he's just writing in Greek. So you have to wonder why. I feel like this detail was included because John had heard Mary Magdalene tell this story over and over again. And it was so visceral for her in the telling. And it was so visceral for him to hear her voice shout, Rabboni! Again, it was like a baby's first words. Mama, Dada, Rabboni. It's the first words of the new creation. This moment was so viscerally powerful that when she would tell it, she would shout it. It was the first words of response spoken after the resurrection of Jesus. The first words of God's new creation, Rabboni, which means, as John tells us, teacher. 
You know, I mentioned earlier that we're told that there was a garden here and that the human story had begun in a garden and what had grown out of that garden was death and violence and sin. What had grown out of that garden was rebellion, the disregarding of God and the disregarding of others. But this new creation that begins here, this tomb that is transformed into a womb of the new creation, the first word of this garden it calls Jesus the Son of God teacher. The new creation will be a place where the voice of God is heard. Not where he's disregarded and where others are disregarded. It will be a place where we hear God call our name. And like Mary, we will know that all that he has accomplished is for us. Where we will call upon God and listen to his voice as authoritative. Where what he says goes where we hear him call our name and we believe what he says, where we hear him call us justified and we believe that we are justified in his sight by grace, not by our works. Friends, Jesus is calling our name this morning and he is inviting us to see this. He's inviting us to see this. As I love the first song we sang this morning, that second verse. See Mary weeping, where is he laid? As in sorrow she turns from the empty tomb. She hears a voice speaking, calling her name. It's the master, the Lord raised to life again. And that voice, the voice that spans the years, speaking life, stirring hope, bringing peace to us, will resound until he appears, until Jesus returns, for he lives Christ is risen from the dead. Right now, this morning, the Spirit of God is calling our names to, like Mary, bring the grief that we have, to bring even our sin to the tomb of Jesus and look inside and see that He is not there, that He is risen, and that changes everything. Guys, we cannot truly understand what God accomplished in the death or resurrection of Jesus until we hear him call our name. We cannot truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done until we see that this is not just something that happened. It is something that happened for us. This is not just a story. It becomes our story and we're swept into it by grace. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus, it'll just be another historical event, another fact to know until we see it as the historical event, the defining moment of our human history. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been unable to truly see the resurrected and victorious Jesus because you've been blinded by your sorrow like Mary. Maybe you're someone who's been blinded by fear, like the disciples. We'll look at that passage next week when Jesus goes to them and declares peace to them in their fear. In two weeks, we'll be looking at Jesus going to his disciple Thomas, who doubted that this could even happen, where Jesus shows him his wounds and calls Thomas to himself through his doubt. Or maybe you're blinded from seeing Jesus because of the sins of others against you. Maybe you've experienced abuse by church leaders or by somebody who claimed to be speaking as authoritative from God. Maybe you've been blinded by your own sin. You've been unable to look past the mistakes that you've made in your life. Well, hear Jesus calling your name this morning and call on him and find all that you need to be made whole in him.
and know that because Jesus is raised from the dead, that when we come to him by faith, it is the guarantee that our story cannot end in sorrow and futility. Put your faith in him and know that he will not fail to bring his new creation to you. He will make you new. He will give you a new heart and his grace will be enough for the rest of your life and to eternity. His grace will be sufficient that Jesus will not stop until all things are made new. And friends, not only hear him calling your name to come to life, but hear him calling you to mission. You may have noticed at the end of this passage, Mary hears Jesus call her name and she becomes the first announcer She becomes the first preacher that Jesus is alive and that changes everything. Jesus tells her to go tell his brothers, those guys who could not even be bothered to come and claim his body after he had been executed. She tells them her, he tells her to go tell them that he is alive. He is chasing them in his grace. And later, Jesus appears to them and it transforms the trajectory of their lives. He, he appears to his literal brothers, the other uh, children of Mary, who did not believe in him at all before he was resurrected. In fact, we can see it in John chapter 7. They mock him, but they all come to belief in him after. And Mary also goes to his spiritual brothers, these disciples who had shown themselves to be cowards. But because of his grace, they are transformed to people that walk into into their entire known world to tell people about the grace that could be theirs. They live lives transformed by the resurrection, serving others and serving God well. And friends, that's our calling here today, to walk out from this place and to live our lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if he is raised, it is the most important thing about any of us. If he is raised from the dead, it transforms every aspect of our lives. If he is raised, it means there is no power in all creation that can separate us from the love of God for us. And because that's true, we fling the doors of our church open as wide as we can, and we invite people in to hear about this grace they will find nowhere else. We fling the doors of our hearts open to people we might not otherwise, people we might not like, people who might not like us. But if Jesus is alive, it means death is overcome. If Jesus has been raised, in a sense, everything's on the table. His grace can show up anywhere. If new life came in this tomb, then new life can come anywhere. So rejoice this morning because Jesus is alive. He is risen and his tomb is empty except for our sin, which he dragged there in his body, our sin that will stay there never to rise and condemn us again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus, the foundation, the bedrock of our hope. Thank you that you have not left us in futility. You have not left us in our sin, but that you descended into the the, the very depths of the human experience as far as you had to go to find us, to chase after us, and to rescue us. 
Lord, I pray that as, as we have seen your light dawn into these shadows, we've talked about it Friday, these shadows of humiliation and shame, of, of mockery, of accusation, of death and burial. As we see your light shining into those things, may we see your light shining into our hearts. Renew us, Lord. Call our name and let us hear you call our name. And let's turn to you and find all we need. Find the foundation for our identity. Find the foundation for our confidence. Find the nourishment for our soul. Do this work in us, Lord, and turn us toward others to, like Mary, be people who are now defined by the resurrection of Jesus, who fling the doors of our hearts and our church and even our homes as open as we can to invite people to come and find this King Jesus that we've found, to find this grace that is inexhaustible and beautiful and wonderful. Do this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.